Today is part one of two in a crazy strategy-filled episode series with one of the top strategists in the game, Brandon Young. Today's episode, we're going to be going over things like his unique relevancy strategy for the Amazon algorithm and much more. How cool is that? Pretty cool, I think. Black Box by Helium 10 houses the largest database of Amazon products and keywords in the world outside of Amazon itself. We have over 2 billion products and many millions more keywords from different Amazon marketplaces, from USA to Australia to Germany and more. Use our powerful filters to search through this database for pockets of opportunity that you might want to get into with your first or next product to sell on Amazon. For more information, go to h10.me forward slash black box. Don't forget, you can save 10% off for life on Helium 10 by using our special code SSP10. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Serious Sellers Podcast by Helium 10. I am your host, Bradley Sutton, and this is the show that's completely BS-free, unscripted, and unrehearsed organic conversation about serious strategies for serious sellers of any level in the e-commerce world. We've got a serious seller here for I think that maybe third third time on this podcast, uh, Brandon Young coming to us from Florida. Brandon, how's it going? Great, man. Always a pleasure. I appreciate it. Now, in your honor, I'm wearing the throwback San Diego Chargers Helium 10 jersey. Uh, can you guess why I, I, I wore that, uh, especially for you? Well, you know that I am a huge Justin Herbert fan, and uh, it might be a dig because he just beat my uh, my Dolphins. It could go either way, yeah. There, but uh, more, more mainly the the former. You know, I know we'll, we'll definitely talk about like you know sports cards and stuff. You know, sometime during this show, but but yeah, I know we were talking about in a group chat. You know how you know the what's Herbert cards are doing right now because he's just been tearing it up lately. So, um, you know, we got a little. And plus, you know, I used to be a, a Chargers fan, but since they moved to LA, I'm like, it's like kind of apathetic <laughs> uh, to them. Uh, I mean, that would be like you know, imagine if the the Dolphins moved to. Uh, Orlando or something or something like that, you know, like, I oh, forget the city, you know, you might feel the same way, maybe. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of, it kind of, uh, you know, it's like they cheated on you a little bit, right? Right, exactly. All right, we're not, we're not here to talk only sports, although I could, you know, I should start a sports podcast or sports card podcast. I would love that. Uh, we're here to talk Amazon strategies and things and, um, you know, coming up in 2023 as, you know, if we, if we recorded the episode at the end or beginning of any year, and just talk about what changed and what's you know coming. It, we could fill up a completely different episode every single year. So I'm just wondering for you and your businesses, you know your clients' businesses, what are some of the changes, either positive or negative, this year that really affected the way that you guys do things? Yeah, the biggest uh, takeaway for us, uh, I think, was around uh, scaling and training the team. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, A lot of what we've been working on for the last two years has been around how to um, set proper expectations and goals for employees to have progression within the company. Right. Hmm. So it's, it's interesting when you hit, when you hit eight to 10, you know, last year we did 12 million um, and uh, maybe 15 with the two, two accounts combined. And then this year we'll do over 20. The biggest thing is that, uh, you really start to hit a wall. Uh, you start to hire people that are specialists to do different things. And you can't really do that at scale unless you start to really understand 
um, how to take that person and I'll give them the freedom to start training and progressing and uh, potentially becoming management material themselves. And so what, what was happening for us, I'd say two years ago, when we did, uh, you know, between eight and 10 million was we, we were, I think, yeah, between six and 10 million. We, we were running into a wall where Jennifer and I were just working more and more in the business and trying to handle and put out fires constantly ourselves. We would have delays uh, pile up because employees didn't have decision rights. Uh, we would lose an employee or key employee, and then people would, um, you know, things just wouldn't get done on time. So it caused delays in logistics. And then on top of that, you have all of the nightmare of logistics issues that were happening in 2020 at that time as well. Mm -hmm. And so we started working with a CEO coach uh, over two years ago now. It was like exactly two years ago. So the end of 2020. And what that what that enabled us to do is really to get visibility on our org chart and understand what are the KPIs for every seat what are the decision rights of every seat? And then how can we hire someone as an associate? And what is the training method that we need to do in order to help them progress to become a junior and then eventually a senior uh, in their role? And then start layering that org chart vertically versus just uh, you know continuing to have all these direct reports that we're going to take up more of our time, right? Um, so for us, it was more business management practices that made the biggest impact. Outside of that, for what impacted everybody, I think, uh, was supply chain becoming much more accessible, faster, uh, costs came way yeah, down. Yeah. And if you had paid attention and really put a lot of effort into content, images, and A-B testing, you were, you were definitely rewarded. Um, the last thing I'll say, there's a third thing. The last thing I would say is that um, there was a fork in the road for a lot of people at the beginning of this year to take that had to do with margin compression. And that means that a lot of these costs were piling up where there were sellers who were continuing to sell at a lower price, but things were more expensive. Costs of goods went up, logistics were more expensive for the beginning of the year at least. And your tacos, your PPC, uh, your advertising costs had gone up. And so that was eating into margin. And so you had these margin compression issues where Instead of making 25% on an item, you might be making 18. And then that's the gross level. And then at the net, once you pay all your employees and all of your costs, you may have ended up in single-digit margins. And a lot of people were panicking because of that. So there was two ways to approach that. One was to try to maximize profits and slow down and spend less on PPC and then get a short-term gain in profits. And then the other way was to keep your foot on the gas and to try to continue to maintain or grow your market share from that. And I think that the people that kept their foot on the gas were rewarded in Q4 as costs came down and as margins went back up. Because you maintained market share, you deterred uh, competitors from entering the space, and ultimately it's better for the health of your business to have a higher top line and then and then re reap the rewards during big seasons like Q4. Um, whereas like the other people had a downward spiral of products that slowly died. Um, and, and so I think it's very important that you keep, keep that in mind. Okay. Good. Going back to that first thing you talked about, about scaling a team. So, you know, th there's no magic number for everybody, but for you guys, wh what is your sweet spot right now at your level of how many employees uh, are working on your Amazon businesses? 
You know, I think that the it's a really interesting uh, concept that holds pretty true, which is um, if you should be doing around eight hundred thousand to a million dollars in revenue per employee you have. Okay. Um, that's kind of what I've I've seen to be true at from one million all the way through to thirty million and up. Is that as you grow, maybe that number comes down per employee because you layer in people that don't have a direct ROI impact into revenue, but they're there for, uh, you know, to make, make the business run better. Uh, so you have those middle managers and everything. But for the most part, uh, your your staff will grow with your revenue at, a, at around that rate. Okay. Now, do you have people who are just, you know, managed the A to Z of a brand, or do you have different departments where like, Hey, this department, regardless of the brand, you guys are specialists on PPC. You guys are only doing sourcing. You guys are only doing, you know, customer service. You guys are only doing keyword research or, or how do you structure uh, a team that size and, you know, doing multiple brands like you have? Yeah. So we used to, um, believe that, uh, maybe there was an opportunity to have specialists that did, um, you know, to break down the, the product life cycle. So, uh, you know, you would have PPC specialists, but what we've settled on after a lot of trial and error has been that the brand manager should also be doing the PPC. Um, and this is different than a lot of organizations set it up, but our thing is that the PPC specialist needs to know what's happening, not just with the product, but also with the competitors in the space and they need to understand what impacts PPC performance beyond just looking at the, the performance reports. Mm -hmm. And so that's where you start to graduate to a brand manager anyway. That's where you're analyzing competition. You're understanding what, uh, what levers to pull with regards to deals. You're looking at uh, the content and determining whether it should be worked on. You're, you're direct, you know. So we do have departments as far as product development content and uh, logistics, but PPC and the actual brand management are one to one person for the most part, simply because if you isolate a PPC person or a specialist and they don't have the ability or the know-how or the visibility on what's happening with those external factors, um, you're, you're going to run into a problem where they're too pillared and they're not effective in their job. They're going to make PPC decisions based on something that could be out of the control of the product at that time. It could be low inventory. It could be a, a competitor running a lightning deal. It could be uh, the content not being optimized. And so you need a PPC specialist that's truly a brand specialist. Yeah. Okay. Now, what about the breakdown as far as do you have any stateside full-time employees or is it a mix half stateside, half overseas or, or uh, what's what's your makeup of, of where your employees work from? So we have a, a writer who's in the States uh, for, you know, cleaning up the English. And then um, we have a designer uh, that specializes in packaging design and marketing who's in the States, but the rest of our team is overseas. And for the most part, those two are taking the lead from those team, that, that team in China. So uh, we do the keyword research, we do the product development, we do the logistics, we do the ordering, we do the brand management, we do the PPC all overseas. Uh, 
But when when the listing is handed over and it's got broken English, but the right keywords in the right spot, that's where the writer goes in and cleans it up and makes the English better. Now, here here's just a random question, but you know, I know the the ones that are in Asia, mainly in China. Like, how much did it play a role? Is because your wife speaks fluent Chinese? Like, let's say you are one hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. So then, like, if if Jennifer was was you know an American or Canadian or yeah know, English or whatever, would you then maybe have considered instead like Philippines or Pakistan or something like that uh, for for your offshore? Yeah, I think 100%. We would probably have more here in the States and then a blend in Philippines or somewhere where English was pretty prominent and it was easy for us to train and hire. Like she's able to train and hire in China because she's fluent and yeah. from China. And and we wouldn't be able to train and hire if the, if the native language was different than what we spoke. So I think that's why okay. Philippines is so popular. Um, even in Pakistan, like... Um, the English is getting much stronger. They speak yep. they speak fairly good English, so it's 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 fine to an extent. But Philippines, they speak English. I mean, it's uh, that's why it's the go to for the most part sure. for finding great teams. And you know, a, a mutual friend of ours and a good friend of mine is uh, Fernando Campos, and he's mm -hmm. grown eleven eight figure brands, eleven. And so mm -hmm. he's he's approaching two hundred million in sales in, on Amazon across those brands, and you know, all, I think his team is almost exclusively in, in, in the Philippines, you know, 75, 80 employees or more in the Philippines that he's grown over the last five, six years uh, that I've known him. And so I think that uh, that's kind of the model we would look for um, if if it wasn't for her being there. So anyone listening that just doesn't speak fluent Chinese, it's not a it's not a model to follow, I would say. The strategy here is, guys, marry into the language of the country. No, no, marry for love like Brandon did. But if there's a bonus, then might as well take advantage of it. Take advantage of the assets and strengths. Do an evaluation of what strengths and assets you have and then use them to your there ability. You go. Right? Like use them exactly. to your advantage. All right. Let's, uh, let's switch gears now and, and talk some, some nuts and bolts, you know, now. Um, I know that, you know, th this has kind of been the, the core of, of, you know, your software data dive and things like that, but, you know, way before you even had data dive, you know, for years, you've been talking about, you know, things like rank juice and, and relevancy to the Amazon algorithm and, and a lot of the stuff, you know, is, I think a lot of people understand these, w whether they implement it or not. But one thing that I think not a lot of people talk about is something that, that you uniquely, at least in my experience, you know, you're one of the few ones who talk about it is. On one hand, yes, I think everybody understands, hey, if I have something in phrase form in my title, that's obviously important to the algorithm in my top five phrases. I've got to have those in phrase form. But then you take it a step farther where where your internal uh, kind of calculation uh, as far as rank juice and relevancy goes doesn't just take things in phrase form, but you, you have something that you call like broad where where you calculate, um, you know, how relevant something is, even if you have bits of the keyword. So, you know, that, that's just a complete rough, terrible explanation of it, but, but maybe you can, you know, articulate a little bit better the, the thought process and the logic behind that kind of relevancy strategy. Yeah. So through a ton of trial and error and, and just seeing what indexes and what rank, how rank is impacted based on how you write your listing and how you, um, how your PPC performs based on, where things are in your listing and how it's written into your listing. Um, and then talking to very smart people, people much smarter than, than I am, we, we were able to determine how Amazon's algorithm pretty much works, right? We, we were able to kind of solve this 
massive formula. Now, we don't have the exact drawn-out multiple-line formula with all of the different variables, but we do know what it looks at and then kind of how it weight, weights it. So the algorithm, first of all, starts by scanning your listing and reading it. And then it reads it in an order that it weighs heavier or lighter, depending on where it finds different words and phrases. And so the title being the heaviest weight and then all the way down through bullets description. And then it reads your back end as well. And it, it kind of puts those in a weighted order. And then in addition to that, the, the algorithm wants to know what you're selling. And you have to understand that in the English language, there's only a set number of words. So... If they were looking at uh, uh, any given three or four sentences and then picking words out and trying to mash them together to find out what you're selling, they might find all sorts of irrelevant stuff that they can make out of those words, right? And so the way it works is that it weighs words that are together heavier than it does words that are apart. And then even more, the next step would be that it weighs words that are in order or phrases that are in order more than it weighs them that are out of order. So broad match would be, uh, you know, words that are not in the same order, but together, or, or not even together, but not in the same order or not together. So it would be like dog bed uh, would be bed dog, right? And mm-hmm. and so, and even, and even more so, it could be dog, um, you know, green bed. That would be a broad match to dog bed. And then you have the phrase match, which is uh, the same words in order, but the, the, the longer tail keyword, there's more words that are also with that phrase. Mm-hmm. So it'd be green dog bed or big dog bed or dog bed for large dogs, right? Mm-hmm. Would be a phrase match to dog bed. Now, um, we understand that the reason that it has to do this and it gives a lot of credit is because when you have an action happen, each action also gives you a different amount of credit depending on the action yep. type. Yep. So maybe a click is a is an action. Browsing your reviews is actually an action. Most people don't know that. Uh, an add to cart is a very powerful action. We've known that for years, and that was used to help rank in the past when it was allowed. Mm-hmm. And a conversion, a purchase, is actually the most powerful, right? Like yep. Yep. testament to some that something being relevant. So each of those actions have to give credit to thousands and thousands of keywords because Amazon cannot wait for an action to happen on every single keyword to rank that keyword. So what they do is every single time there's an action, they're giving a little bit of credit to thousands of keywords for ranking and for relevancy. And so what ends up happening is you have a performance metric of all those actions Mm -hmm. and then... Uh, you have a multiplier times the match type for uh, with, and, and the location in your listing, which is a relevancy multiplier. So basically what ends up happening is uh, I have someone go to search for, you know, I'm trying to rank for dog bed. And then they search for dog bed for terriers. Mm-hmm. And then they go and they click on it, uh, my listing. And then they add it to cart and then they purchase it. I've had several actions there. Now I've gotten credit for literally every single set of keywords and phrases that has dog bed and bed for terriers and those three words in it. Those yep. phrase, the, any of those, root, we call them root words or root phrases, we've gotten credit for all of those. And so the, the thesis behind our research and the way that we optimize and the way that we, we try to 
um, maximize the rank and the reach of our listings and the traffic for our listings is that we write our listings in a way that uh, that optimizes the uh, the the search volume and making sure we're covering all the root words that are in the typical ways people search to find. Um, so it's a long, convoluted way of, of yeah. saying yes. Match type matters because Amazon gives you more credit if it's an exact match, or and and then a phrase match gives you a little bit credit, less credit, like fifty percent, and then a little bit less credit if it's a broad match, and and then there's plurals mixed into there too. So instead of dog bed, it's dog beds, mm-hmm. and uh, that that's less than an exact match, but more than a phrase match, right? So there's all these. Uh, ways that Amazon's looking to give you credit across all these words, and you have to kind of know them in order to really um, write your listing in an optimized ways to maximize your rank potential, um, you know, in uh, on Amazon. And if you can just, you know, help people understand the power of this, you know, I know you've had different people where you take a look at their listing, and then they don't have, you know, enough phrase form, they don't have enough exact and 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 you look at their competitors and they're crushing it where where just small tweaks has resulted in in ridiculous amounts of of revenue for them like you know you don't have to give the exact product way or if there is one go ahead but can you give an example just to illustrate how powerful understanding this strategy is yeah i'll I'll explain why right that relevancy multiplier matters a lot right um so if Amazon's not sure you're selling something and it could be it could be what you're selling and they're unsure though the algorithm's unsure they're going to cap your rank ability at a certain level and usually that level's in that 25 to 40 range so you'll see this when you see best sellers who are in the top 5 for every keyword except for a few that they're 25 or 35 right and the reason being is because um You'll notice that there's a pattern between those same words. There might be the example that I've that I've used recently that was very interesting is that OXO, um, huge kitchen brand, multi-billion dollar brand, and then they've got a garlic press, and everyone loves the garlic press as an example. But did you know that garlic press um, is only one way to call and look for a garlic press? Like a lot of people call it a garlic mincer. Mm-hmm. And so mincer being the second most popular way people are looking for and searching. That's a mincer is a completely different root word. And if you look at OXO's title and their listing, they don't use the word mincer anywhere. What they do is they say it's good for mincing, uh, crush mince or whatever your garlic, right? And so if they simply took, now mince is in there, but mince is a different word than mincer. Mince is sure. a verb and, uh, and mincer is an adjective, right? Or a noun. So it, it, Amazon's algorithm is like, it could be, but it might not be. So I'm sure. going to block it. And so the reality is they're probably running PPC on garlic mincer. And they're probably accumulating credit when people do stumble down to it in position 30 or 25 or wherever they're at. But Amazon's blocking it. So they've got credit in the bank of that keyword is the way I like to think about it. I like to think of your product as a bank and every keyword being a bank account. And uh, it's sitting there, but they're not cashing it in. They haven't unlocked the relevancy enough to maximize their rank ranking juice in order to cash it in. And so all they would have to do is write garlic mincer into the title, and they would probably immediately rank in the top five for garlic mincer and all garlic mincer related keywords. Um, 
that's the type of example that we've seen many times over with with uh, with people who follow this type of practice because uh, they've they've they haven't done the keyword research and found all of these root words, secondary ways people are calling a product that they're not familiar with. And another example would be a toiletry bag. Someone asked this the other day on 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 uh, on, on LinkedIn, and it was very funny because I I um, I use this example. Uh, some people call it a toiletry bag. Some people call it a dop kit. Some people call it a bathroom a bag. Some people call it a, a travel what, bag. What was that second one? Dop kit. D-O-P-P. How do you spell that? D-O-P-P-K-I-T. I've never heard of that before. <laughs> exactly. So the point would be that if you wanted to sell this on Amazon and you did a research for for uh, for for toiletry bags, yeah, and you, went, yeah. you went on Alibaba or sixteen eighty eight, and you so, you sourced toiletry bags, and you wrote your listing for toiletry bags, and even if you added bathroom bag and all these other things and and everything, and you just left Dopkit out, you would just miss out on a really important root word that has tens yeah. of thousands of searches a month as an aggregate. So the point is doing that initial keyword research and making sure you're finding and identifying all those initial root words or ways that people are searching so that you can build them into your listing and establish the relevancy so that Amazon will rank you for it. Cool. All right. Uh, again, one more thing uh, I'm actually going to be doing almost with every guest going forward. Uh, for me, 2023 is uh, one of the sub themes I want to do talk about in podcasts is, is for entrepreneurs is mental health and physical health. You know, obviously what happened to me this year was kind of an eye-opening thing at my age. And so like what I'm going to start doing to, you know, for guests is, is I just want to know about your, uh, you know, on the, on the mental health side for me, like it's important to have hobbies. So like one thing I start doing on the podcast now, like my little opening always has me, uh, a clip of me, like in one of my travels, cause travel is my hobby. And so that's how I bring that here. And, and, and everybody has different hobbies, but then on the phys on the physical fitness side, like I bought one of those under desk treadmills. Now I'm trying to use that like one hour, uh, a day, you know, to get, start getting back into health. But first of all, on the hobby side, um, what is your, uh, what is your non, you know, like e-commerce hobby that you do to kind of like escape from your day-to-day -day. i love uh i love sports so it's 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 usually anything related to that going to sports games um uh, football probably first and then basketball and baseball I'm, I'm in an amazing town here for all three where i've got the dolphins the heat and the marlins uh in miami but um Sweet. We were collecting sport card, sports cards a lot heavier over the last couple of years. I've backed off that as it's been a terrible investment, so to say. But it's still fun to, uh, to speculate on some young stars on the baseball side. and some, it, it makes watching sports more interesting when you've got the rookie card of a guy. The same reason we do fantasy football, right? Like yep, if you've got yep. them on your team, you can watch any game because there's someone on, on one of the sides of the field usually that, that you've got on a team somewhere. Uh, so that's always fun. But Typically, it's sports or, or something related to that. Uh, being a dad, you know, and, and golf uh, is probably the, the probably even bigger than that. I mean, it's, it's a sport. But my son, I grew up playing golf, um, well, baseball, then golf. And I, I started getting really serious into it. I started when I was 11. And then when I was 13, I, I, I quit baseball to take golf full time. And seriously, hmm. he's been doing it for a few years. He just turned 11. And he's already better than I was when I was 13. So... He, uh, he's starting to enter tournaments. I go to the driving range with him regularly. I have a platinum membership at Top Golf, and we go there uh, a couple times a week, and uh, and and then we try to get hit the golf course every couple weeks and and uh, start teaching him the short game and some of the finer points of golf. That's that's my disconnect. I love it. I love it. 
All right, guys, hope you enjoyed this first part of this episode. Like it was so long that instead of like cutting it, we we're like, let's make this two episodes. So make sure to come back tomorrow and check the next episode and part two will be out ready for you guys.